much for coming along this morning. Stuart Allcroft, Chairman of City Trust, Louis Coyce, Head of Asia Economics at Oxford Economics, and our International Economics Correspondent, Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Asian stocks are slipping this morning. In Australia, the ASX 200 is down about a quarter of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is currently off a third of a percent. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open down about half a percent uh, in an hour's time. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil trading at $63.59 right now. Uh, Gold is slipping further in Asian trading at $1,789 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please stay tuned to Radio 3. Back Chat is coming up next with Danny Gittings and Karen Coe. Let me give you an update on the weather forecast for today. Fine and dry. Maximum temperature is going to be around 24 degrees. The outlook, windier in the next couple of days. Cool in the morning and dry during the day. And it's going to be warm during the day over the weekend and early next week. There is a yellow fire danger warning in force right now. It's 19 degrees and 68% relative humidity. The Times 8.31, Samantha Butler has the news headlines. A panel of experts has recommended the emergency use of the mainland-made Sinovac vaccine in Hong Kong, saying its efficacy outweighs any possible risks. The panel's convener, Professor Wallace Lau, says its efficacy rate will exceed 60% when two shots are administered 28 days apart. He brushed aside concerns it's premature for them to endorse the vaccine before the World Health Organization approves it. This is about an emergency use of a vaccine that will hopefully help to protect the people of Hong Kong from COVID. And uh, we have received the data from uh, Sinovac and uh, the data that we have looked at appeared to show that this vaccine is efficacious. Donald Trump has launched a blistering attack on the Republican leader in the U.S. Senate, Mitch McConnell, saying the party will never again be strong with leaders like him. Three days after his acquittal in his second impeachment trial, the former president accuses Mr. McConnell of a lack of political insight, wisdom, skill and personality. He says things will only get worse for the party unless it turns back to his America first agenda. Here's the BBC's Peter Bowes. Describing Mitch McConnell as a dour, sullen and unsmiling political hack, Donald Trump said Republicans would not win again if they stayed with their leader in the Senate. The former president said he'll back members of the party who espouse making America great again and the policy of America first. On Saturday, Mr McConnell said Donald Trump was practically and morally responsible for the attack on Congress last month, although he voted to acquit Mr Trump on the charge of inciting insurrection. The Court of Appeal in the Netherlands has decided that a 9pm coronavirus curfew will remain in place until a full appeal is heard on Friday. Yesterday, a lower court ruled that the measure had to be reversed immediately. The curfew at the end of last month proved to be a particularly contentious decision and was the catalyst for several nights of rioting. Herkmaat Smelt, a court spokesperson, spoke after yesterday's ruling against the government. The curfew is based on a law that is meant for extremely urgent cases. Think of a dike being breached. For cases where the government cannot consult Parliament first to draft a law. The curfew measure had already been discussed. It had even been debated in Parliament. And it is not such an extreme emergency. The judge considered that there is a pandemic, that there is a virus that is also mutating, that there is great pressure on health care. It is a time of great concern and difficult decisions, but even and especially drastic measures, such as the curfew, must be based on good law. 
You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your co-host this morning is Karen Coe. Good morning, Karen. Hi, good morning, Danny. In our main topic today, we'll be looking ahead to tomorrow's easing of COVID-19 restrictions. Restaurant workers, as well as those in sports and entertainment business, have been queuing up at testing centres across Hong Kong. Anxious to get back to work, now the government has decided to allow many venues closed during the recent wave of the pandemic to reopen from Thursday onwards. Restaurants will be able to stay open till 10 o'clock at night. But bar owners say it's unfair there's still no end in sight to their closure. With Health Secretary Sophia Chan warning it's unlikely there'll be any further easing of restrictions anytime soon. So what do you think? Should the government go further in its relaxation measures? Or is it already opening up too much and risking another round of mass infections? Later in the programme, we'll be joined by a Hong Kong resident from Myanmar to tell us how her relatives and friends are faring amid the increased protests against the military coup. You can let, let us know your thoughts by email, backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can leave a message on our Facebook page, backchat on RTHK Radio Free, or give us a call, the number 233 double eight two six six that's two three three double eight two six six our guest um, in the first part of the program we're joined initially by uh, ben, professor benjamin cowling the head of division and epidemiology and biostatistics at the school of public health at university of hong kong and uh professor cowling good morning to you thanks for joining us on the program Hi, let me start off with you. Of course, the highly anticipated reopening of many venues and uh, extended hours for restaurants is going to start tomorrow. Do you think Hong Kong is ready for this? Is this the right thing to be doing right now? I'm a little bit worried, actually, because although the case numbers have been low in the past few days, I think it might be a little bit artificial because of the New Year holidays. Uh, Some people maybe don't want to see a doctor because it's bad luck to see a doctor during the New Year period. So I'm a little bit worried there might be more infections and, and some of those haven't been picked up. And we may well see the numbers come up in the next week or two. Uh, so so I'm, I'm worried that the restrictions are being lifted too early. Having said that, some of the restrictions that are being lifted are restrictions which don't have much impact anyway, like the 6 p.m. ban on, on in-restaurant dining and the, the two-person limit on tables. So I, I don't think there's a big issue with relaxing those because they didn't have much effect anyway. Mm-hmm. But some of the other measures, I'm, I, I think it's maybe a, a few weeks too early. Like which, and at the same time, one? there are other things which could have been relaxed, like the beaches. We still right. can't go to beaches. Which ones do you think um, maybe shouldn't have been relaxed, that, that may be a bit more risky? So we, we know that, that some of the locations where, where outbreaks have occurred in the past year, gyms, karaoke centres, other entertainment venues. And so I, I'm worried that if there was to, to be a, more cases in the community than we understand than we've seen based on the numbers. Maybe those particular locations are now at risk of having outbreaks. But having said that, I know they've been closed for, for a long time and they, they haven't had much compensation uh, during the closure period. So I understand the, 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 the need maybe to, to get some of those businesses back open again. Um, but I'm concerned that we, they may lead to a resurgence in cases. Now, we know that um, workers in uh, these areas in restaurants and in the sports and ent- entertainment businesses have to be tested. Uh, and testing is a good, a good way, I guess, to just 
keep an eye on you know what is happening at least with your staff um would it would it help for example if patrons also got tested and and at least then they have their own um confidence that they're not carrying the virus I think that would lead to then everyone in Hong Kong getting tested regularly, which I think may be, may be too expensive to consider. But certainly the staff of these premises, it's very reasonable to, to arrange for testing for them. And if the testing can give us confidence that rates of infection really are very low in the community and in these particular locations, then I think that that's really useful evidence to support keeping things going and, and keeping the measures relaxed for longer. Now, the government says that the uh, reproductive rate of the virus, the R, R fa factor, is now 0 0.6, which is presumably is low enough to feel more, more confident. Why, why, why are you still so cautious? So the reproductive number is, is based on how contagious the virus is in the community and how much effort we are putting in to stop it from spreading. So maybe it would, would have started at between 2 and 3, and we brought it down now, right now, to, to 0 0.6 by all of the social distancing measures the reproductive number is going to come up again. And as long as it stays below one, the numbers of cases are going to come down from day to day, from week to week. But, uh, but I'm just worried that, that if we relax too much, and it, uh, let's also be clear that the measures by the government are only one part of the equation. It's how people respond to those. So if relaxing the measures leads to people becoming more complacent, going out more, meeting their friends, uh, because they haven't been doing that in the past few months, then we're going to see a knock-on effect on, on transmission of the virus as well. So even if the, the measures uh, are relaxed, I, I think if, people, if people's behaviour doesn't change, then there wouldn't be so much concern. But if it leads to a change in behaviour, then that, that's really a concern to me. I, I guess one of the ironies, though, is you know one of the, the measures that have not allowed people to go to certain places, like Professor Kaling, you mentioned, you can't go to the beach, has led to behaviour of thousands of people going on the hiking trails, and in order to get there, queuing up to get on crowded buses and transport. Um, so, so the behaviour is kind of pushed by what you know government restrictions allow and don't allow. Yeah, for sure. So. Uh I'm not so worried about people spending time in the countryside. That's a really good place to spend time. Uh, the fresh air, the sunlight, uh, really minimal risk of transmission. You mentioned queuing up for the buses and the public transport and then spending time on, on maybe in crowds inside the transport. But everyone's wearing masks in those circumstances. So I, I think that's really mitigating the potential for transmission, uh, really a low chance of transmission in, in, in that particular circumstance. So it's not as much of a concern to me as maybe seeing the shopping malls for love with a lot of shoppers spending a lot of time indoors um, and then also restaurants and now these other facilities opening again where people spend a lot of time indoors, sometimes not wearing masks. And so that, that's going to be more of a concern, I think. OK, we're discussing the uh, latest developments in COVID-19, uh, particularly the um, easing of restrictions that the government has announced to take effect um, from tomorrow. But of course, there's also the announcement last night of the Sinovac uh, vaccine being approved in Hong Kong. Uh, you just heard uh, Professor Benjamin Cowlin from the University of Hong Kong. If you have any thoughts, email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can leave a message on our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free. A couple of emails coming in with uh, questions uh, addressed to uh, Benjamin Benjamin Cowling. So let's, let's go through these. Uh, Matthew says, I think there is a good chance we may see another dancing Tai Tai style wave and shutdown in a few weeks. 
To me, it seems pretty stupid to have kept us under tight restrictions for two months, inclusive of our ambushes, and then signal relaxation just before Chinese New Year, which is obviously the highest risk period of the last 12 months. If the tight regulation was really necessary in the first place, then surely it would have made sense to wait a week or two after Chinese New Year before declaring victory. But I guess that wouldn't have been politically as palatable. Then we have the intriguing decision to relax re regulations on indoor dining while keeping beaches and BBQ pits open. I wonder if this could have anything to do with the beaches and BBQ, um, BBQ pit users not having a powerful patriotic minority representing their interests. Finally, if there are any medical experts on the programme this morning, I'd love to hear if there's any reasonable, reassuring explanation as to why Sinovac would choose not to make their data publicly available in medical journals like other vaccine developers have. And one more question on uh, vaccines uh, for uh, Professor Cowlin. Uh, Les says, can he clarify where the Foshan bi biotech vaccine is made and why is it that Pfizer in other places, including Singapore, but Foshan in Hong Kong. Uh, Professor Cowlin? Yes, so for that last question, the, the vaccine that we're getting in Hong Kong from BioNTech is made in Germany, and it's the, the, the reason for it being with Foshan Pharma is because BioNTech signed a distribution deal with Pfizer to cover most of the world, but they signed a deal with Foshan Pharma to cover China, and of course Hong Kong's part of China, so that means that Foshan Pharma is the distributor for Hong Kong, not Pfizer. Uh, but we're getting the vaccines from Germany, they're, they're waiting to come, I, I believe, in a, in a warehouse in Germany, waiting to come on the flight to Hong Kong uh, so that we can start using them later this month. And how about the issue Matthew raised, which is attracting a lot of attention, this issue about the third stage clinical data for um, the, the, the Sinovac vaccine? Yeah, I, I don't understand why they haven't released more information. And, and typically, when, when a manufacturer applies for regulatory approval, they'll have a lot of documentation that could be made public uh, to support the decision, to, so to allow transparency. It's not essential that the data are published in a medical journal but i think it is really important that the data are published somewhere in a report that the manufacturer stands by and is somehow legally binding on them that, that they they solemnly swear that the information contained in the report is the truth and so what we haven't yet seen from sinovac is transparency over what exactly was done in those trials and and what exactly the results are. i'm hearing different numbers for the effectiveness, 50%, then yesterday, 62%. Uh, and it, I'm not really clear on what those different numbers reflect, where they've come from. Sounds to me like if you were on a panel approving vaccines, you wouldn't be ready to approve Sinovac yet. I'm not saying you wouldn't approve it full stop, but you'd say you need, you need more data first. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what information has been provided to the panel. I'm not on that particular committee, so I don't know what information has been provided to them. Maybe they've, they've had an awful lot of information that, they, that they're confident in, but I, I wish there was more transparency. Mm. Um, we also have uh, joining us right now Alan Zeman, who's the chairman of the Lang Kwai Fong Group. Uh, Mr. Zeman, welcome to the program. Well, uh, happy Chinese New Year. Happy New Year, indeed. Uh, so what are your thoughts about these um, restrictions being eased tomorrow, especially, of course, restaurants being able to open later, but bars still not being uh, able to open at all? Well, obviously, uh, I... M1, you know, I understand the government, I understand, uh, you know, they want to do it in phases, and, uh, you know, I agree with that, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, we've uh, come through a long, long past year has been uh, horrendous, and uh, I think that the fact that 
tomorrow night uh, the restaurants at least it's a, it's a baby step forward are open for dinner and and uh, but the bars are really 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 suffering are really on life support and I understand the experts I understand uh, what you know they're divided as well many are worried that bars you know for some reason they have an, something in their mind that bars are bad and 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 create bad things for people and and but uh, I think that uh, the bar owners, most of them, have been through uh, really hell. And I think many are in life support at the moment. And I think they will uh, abide by every government regulation that uh, is put out uh, for safety. I mean, <laughs> whether we like it or not, they do provide part of uh, our, you know, our industry here. And, and, and so I think it's... Uh, you know, I myself don't own any bars, but I just feel, you know, I, I have tenants. I see people who are really on life support. Their whole life saving has been put into uh, running a bar or, or, or a club. And, and uh, in essence, uh, they've been closed something like uh, almost 200 days. Uh, and you can't, any business cannot survive uh, that way. And they've got staff. Uh, they've got staff uh, with children, uh, married staff. You know, it's it's uh, it's very difficult. So I feel bad for them. And I've you know I've spoken out, and I understand. Uh, hopefully, uh, in the second, if everything goes well with the restaurants, uh, I hope in in uh, the second. Uh, uh, opening up uh, that bars will be included. Uh, I think that uh, if they follow all regulations, because the most important thing is you're forcing people then, if they can't go out to a bar, then they just get together at, at their home. homes, at yes. their friends' homes, they drink. You know, this, at least in a bar you have FEHD, it's supervised, um, and, and uh, you know, for some reason there's this bad connotation of the bars are worse than restaurants, and I, I understand why, of course. Uh, but, you know, people can uh, drink too much, but I think it's up to the operators to make sure that, uh, you know, that, that they have a control uh, of the bars and open up slowly. The bar, uh, I've talked to many, many bar owners, they'll do anything possible, whatever the government wants them to do, uh, to, to really open up. They're desperate. Now, let's pick up that point with Professor Cowling. Professor Cowling, do you understand the distinction the government draws between restaurants and bars? It is okay for restaurants to stay open until 10 o'clock, but we can't have bars open? I think bars are grouped together more with leisure facilities, whereas restaurants, a lot of people don't have space at home to cook, so they really need to, to eat in restaurants. Um, I, I, I understand the, the concerns, and I, I think a lot of it is financial. Uh, I wonder whether there's a way for the government to provide more financial support for bars while they're closed through some of their, their financial schemes. They, they have an awful lot of money uh, that they can spend on other things. Why can't they do provide financial support to bars while the bars are closed? And that might be a win-win. Uh, and Alan Zeman, um, we're hearing a lot of... Uh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> I <laughs> In, in fact, that, that's all they, all they want to do is survive. You know, they're no different than you or I. You know, have, they have jobs, they create jobs, and, and unfortunately, uh, since November, you know, there's been no, almost no uh, subsidies for them, and uh, they've got to pay rents. Many of the landlords have not reduced their rents, and, and uh, they're basically dying. They see some of them have talked to their whole life savings uh, are, are disappearing, and they just you know, they don't see future. How about you, Alan Zeman? You're, you're a landlord. Are you still are you still um, offering rent reductions to your uh, yes, bar tenants? I, 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 I what they call a sympathetic landlord. I have no choice. I mean, uh, you know, the way I look at it, if I um, 
put people out. Uh, there's not too many people renting new space at the moment. And so uh, you may as well just uh, live with what you have and try to help tenants through. Some are better than others. Some are more financially sound than others. And uh, I've been working with uh, all my tenants to try to uh, help them get through this. But some of them did have to go bankrupt. I, I felt bad for one. After 20 years in business, uh, he had a restaurant, actually, and, and, and bar, and uh, had to close down. And uh, it just, you know, it just uh, hurts me inside because uh, I, I, I hate to see that. Yeah, and I mean, um, Mr. Zeman, you make a good point about if people can't gather in bars or or even in restaurants as they haven't been able to, they, they just gather at home. Um, and we saw in the U.S. after Thanksgiving a huge spike in cases. That is exactly what was happening. People were having family reunions of 50, 60 people. So you know, the, other, the other difference is the homes in Hong Kong are so small, so tiny. And, and, you know, at least in even America or other places, you know, you have bigger, bigger homes. Most people live in bigger homes in Hong Kong. Uh, it's an anomaly. We, we, you know, people have six people living in a 150, 200 square foot flat. And, and so it's one on top of the other. And that's why people need to go out and, and need to be able. Otherwise, listen, they, they go to uh, restaurants, uh, they go out to uh, shopping malls and, and, and uh, you know, there, there isn't safety distancing there. I, I prefer to be, my argument is, why not be able to supervise, uh, you know, the, these uh, bars or, or, or restaurants. Listen, restaurants were open from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., 12 hours a day. And in essence, we can see in this fourth wave, the uh, infection rate has been very, very little in the restaurants because everybody was following the government regulations. And I agree with the government regulations, uh, uh, you know, wholeheartedly. And, and so I think that uh, uh, the bar owners will do exactly the same and, and, and just give them a chance, I think. Give them a chance sooner rather than later um, and, and uh, you know, put them in the <laughs> same as... Same as restaurants, give them a chance to, to operate. I don't believe, you know, opening up from uh, 6 p.m. to 10 uh, p.m. for restaurants, I don't think that will increase the infection rate much. I really, really don't, because within the 12 hours of lunch, uh, people were, you know, uh, people were really abiding by the regulations put in. And, and now testing the staff once every two weeks, uh, everyone agrees to that. Uh, you know, and, and, and so uh, the only way to get rid of this virus is, number one, the vaccines, which I, I, I'm quite disappointed that we have not been able to get more vaccines. The vaccines quicker here when other countries around the world yeah. are already vaccinating um, their, their population. But, uh, um, you know, I think I think we need that quickly. And, and then contact tracing, which you can see now people lining up to uh, to get tested. At the beginning, people did not want to get tested. Now there's, now there's a shortage of, 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 of space for people to get tested, which, you know, and I'm sure the same thing will happen with vaccines. And I think uh, the faster we get that, the faster we can get back to a new normal. 
Oh, you, I think you may just have answered a question coming in from a, a listener. Uh, Matthew says a question for Alan Zeman. Does Mr Zeman think the government is too slow in implementing a vaccine programme, given much of the developed world has already begun? And if so, why is he not pushing more loudly for this? And just before you respond, Alan Zeman, uh, another email from uh, John says, Alan Zeman's statement that bar owners or restaurant owners will abide by all the restrictions is, uh, if he uses a word, I, I won't read out on air, but uh, um, we all live in Hong Kong, Alan. We have all walked around the streets of Wan Chai and seen the dozens of people hanging around in restaurants, um, restaurants in inverted commas, without masks, without any noticeable separation, all talking and drinking and smoking. And we have seen the Cha Chan Tengs packed with people in lunch hours without any heed to supposed capacity restrictions. The idea this sector is suddenly going to respect regulations is sheer nonsense, and Alan knows it. The solution is the one offered by Professor Cowling. Keep the bars closed for our collective safety and provide aid to the workers who are seriously affected. Alan Zeman. Um, well, all I can say is, listen, uh, I've been through a lot of restaurants. I'm sure there are people that do not follow regulations, but uh, I've been through a lot of restaurants these past few months, and, and uh, they have followed. You know, I've seen uh, people, uh, you know, uh, restaurant uh, operators asking the the uh, uh, customers to uh, uh, abide by the uh, leave home safe uh, app that that uh, they have to the QR code that they have to uh, do and and wearing masks and so yes but I, I imagine there are people who do break the law and they have that everywhere and then it's up to the authorities it's up to FEHD to uh, come and regulate that but have uh, owners turning up I mean it's very common in restaurants now do we see that uh, they turn a blind eye to I mean people, more um, than two people I, sitting well, at tables I don't, yeah, listen I'm sure there are but I've been to a lot of restaurants where they really don't turn a blind eye and and listen uh, Hong Kong's a big place and and, and of course you're always going to have people that don't uh, people park illegally on the street you know you're going to stop all the cars from parking you know I mean uh, you, uh, you're not comparing the dangers of no, illegal I know, I know, parking but they've with... got to be they've got to be regulated I, I agree Danny that they, it, it's the it's up to the FEHD and the police to regulate that and uh, I know I've seen it like quite phone the police are usually around uh you know, really uh, making sure that, uh, that that people are abide, abiding by it. And I've seen them giving fines to people, um, you know. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I can't say that everybody follows the regulations, but you've got to somehow, we also have an economy to, to have, uh, I care about safety as well, but we have an economy uh, to have people uh, really working, getting back on their feet, and, 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 and you've got children uh, that have to be looked at, that have to be fed, uh, so there has to be a balance between everything, and uh, whether it's giving more subsidies, uh, I agree with that, uh, of course, uh, but again, government says we don't have enough money we've got to protect the 800 billion that we have in reserves at the moment uh so uh, listen there's a, there's a balance on both sides it's uh, I, th I think that uh, uh somehow uh, maybe we do have to loosen the purse strings a little bit give a little more money if you do want to keep people closed and and then uh, make a decision you know i, I, I okay. agree with professor cowling yeah professor cowling we just got a couple of minutes you were saying at the start of the show you're worried about a rebound in uh, numbers um what sort of uh, figures would set alarm bells ringing for you uh so i i think that the numbers in the past week although they've been below 10 i think in reality it should have been more like 20 or 30 a week 
Uh, it's been artificially suppressed because of the Lunar New Year. Uh, so I guess next week we may still be seeing 20 or 30 cases a day and the week after. I'd be worried if it goes above 50 a day. I mm. won't be worried if we see a few days with, with larger numbers. Um, and I, I really think it would be a good idea in Hong Kong if we could keep the restrictions in place a little bit longer, get to zero, so that we could have a chance of staying at zero like New Zealand's mostly managed, Australia's mostly managed, Taiwan and a few other places. Uh, if you can get to zero, then it's a different kind of strategies to stay at zero with the travel quarantine and so on. Um, but, but life can get back to normal even without vaccine. We've seen in New Zealand and Australia, they've been doing a lot of normal things for most of the past year after they've been able to get to zero and stay at zero. Uh, Professor Cowling, just uh, on the point that Alan Zeman made and uh, one of our listeners, do you, do you feel that Hong Kong has been slow to just get the vaccination program going? Yeah, I, I look around. I think Singapore's already vaccinated more than 100,000 people. New Zealand starting today. Uh, a few other parts uh, around this, this uh, sorry, a few other places in Asia have already started. Hong Kong's not the slowest, but it's not the fastest either. Uh, we can still catch up. Because actually the, the measure of success of vaccination is, is not when you do the first vaccine, it's when you've, you've covered 50, 67% of the population. So we still have a chance to catch up. What I hope will not happen in Hong Kong is that we're somehow left behind and, and other places around us have, have reached a high level of vaccine coverage and decided to go back to normal. And Hong Kong's kind of stuck without a high enough vaccine coverage or with, without a high enough coverage of an effective vaccine if we use a, a vaccine that's not very effective then we will not be able to get back to normal either. And, and so that, that's really my concern, that we'll be somehow left behind and we'll look longingly at Singapore and, and some other nearby places who are going on holidays to Japan and Korea again and, uh, and all the other things that we used to enjoy. OK, when can we look forward to overseas holidays again? Uh, thank, thank you very much. Uh, that's Professor Benjamin Cowlin uh, from the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong and also Alan Zeman, uh, chair of Lan Kwai Fong Group. Uh, we'll be continuing the discussion after the news. So we joined, uh, we hope to be joined by the owner of a gym and a um, professor from the Department of uh, Sport and Physical Education. We'll be talking about uh, the restrictions in, in that area. Do let us know your thoughts at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can leave a message on our Facebook page back chat on rthk radio free there's quite a lively discussion going on there or of course always you can give us a call on 233 the weather forecast is going to be fine and dry the maximum temperature will be around 24 degrees currently 19 degrees relative humidity 68 percent we'll be back in three minutes of last month proved to be a particularly contentious decision and was the catalyst for several nights of rioting. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back to Backchat. I'm Danny Gittings, your co-host this morning, Karen Coe. In the second half of the programme, we're continuing to look at the easing of COVID-19 restrictions with a focus on sports facilities. The sports facilities, of course, have been largely closed since November, but uh, most sports facilities, not all, but most sports facilities are included in the opening up uh, that starts tomorrow. Our guest for the uh, second half of the show, we have Anthony Gormley, who's owner of the Buffalo Strength uh, Gym, and Professor Fa uh, Frank Fu, Professor Fu 
an emeritus professor at the Department of Sport and Physical Education at Hong Kong Baptist University. If you have any thoughts, so do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free, and comment there. Uh, before we go to our guest, let me just bring in some emails that have been coming in. Uh, Magnus, in a somewhat slightly delayed email, I'm afraid, Magnus has came in too late to ask Professor Benjamin Cowling, who was on the first half of the show. Uh, Magnus says, uh, please ask Professor Cowling his opinion regarding the complete lack of restrictions on gatherings in private settings, e.g. in each other's flats. Would he agree that Hong Kong is an outlier globally in this respect? And not having restrictions across all settings serves to undermine whatever restrictions we have on other venues, i.e. by permitting people to gather in each other's apartments in unlimited numbers, you simply displace people from one risky setting to another risky setting. Might this explain why we spend months rather than weeks each time dealing with an outbreak? Uh, Alan says... Bar owners are going broke. That is unavoidable. Hearing them argue for exemption is like brothel owners complaining about restrictions due to AIDS. Both diseases are distributed by social interaction. The whole reason people go to bars to sit with people and talk loudly. Alcohol disinhibits. That is why we drink it. That's why it's implicated in so many deaths of all kinds. This kind of behaviour is exactly what spreads COVID. There is no safe way to do this. Alan Zeman, who was guest in the first half, is talking garbage to say there is. It's physically impossible. Hong Kong landlords are evil scumbags, but paying them is not a reason to allow bars to become virus hotspots. Um, and uh, an email from uh, Din. Uh, no wonder Hong Kongers remain sceptical in respect of vaccines made in the PRC and pointing to um, a report out of Shanghai on crack- cracking down on um, various uh, vaccine irregularities on the mainland. Uh, just one more for the moment. Uh, uh, this is actually also uh, from uh, Magnus, but it was sent, sent earlier saying, uh, presumably others noticed what was happening all around Hong Kong during the Chinese New Year. Crowds of people everywhere, restaurants packed, uh, with the two-person rule almost entirely ignored and no masks being worn. Against this backdrop, what can be the justification for schools, bars and so on to be closed? It's been clear for some time the existing rules for restaurants have been all but discarded in practice. And bizarrely, never any rules with regard to gatherings in private uh, settings. The result is throughout this period of restrictions, we've simply displaced people from one risky setting to another. Unless you apply restrictions on gatherings in all settings, it's ineffective in fighting an outbreak. And we repeatedly forced to spend months rather than weeks waiting for each re- outbreak to recede at enormous social and economic cost. COVID was always going to provide a difficult time for schools and the hospitality sector. The massive gaps in the government's restrictions have made matters immeasurably worse by unnecessarily drawing out things for months. Okay, thanks, Danny. Well, let's go to our guests uh, now. And uh, good morning first to Anthony Gormley. Morning. Hi. Um, so, Anthony, just tell us, as a gym owner, how have you managed the last, you know, pretty much the last year or so? That was great difficulty. We've been shut for over uh, 150 days over the past year, uh, shut completely. So absolutely no income while still having to pay the rent. Um, I, I didn't really know t- how to tell you how I've dealt with it, apart from like by the, by the tips of my fingers, you know, mm-hmm. and by the skin of our teeth. 
Well, you're still here. I mean, a number of gyms have gone bankrupt, right? You've managed to avoid that, presumably. We're still here, but we're in quite a unique position. We're in Moewo in Lantau Island, where the rent is not quite as expensive. And it's more a sort of small community effort. We've got about 100 members. So uh, there's maybe more sympathy from them than, you know, members of a big chain. And have you had to do things like virtual classes or uh, limited outdoor classes, things like that? Um, well, I tried to do outdoor classes, but we got broken up pretty early. There's a, still a limit of two people, even if you're going outdoors. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, that means I'd have to take all my... I, I did it once and it got broken up. And after that, I started to switch to YouTube and just uploaded all the workouts there. Uh, it's a bit of a challenge because I work primarily with weights and kettlebells to transport all that to a place with enough distance uh, between people where they can get a proper workout. So uh, I, I didn't uh, do in-person workouts anymore. I just uploaded to YouTube. Mm. So while you have been able to keep going, you must I'm sure that you have colleagues in the industry who have, have to close down completely or totally leave the industry. While waiting for the subsidies to arrive, yeah. Subsidies that they were entitled to, that they sent off for, uh, with all the proper documentation, and then they shut down while they were still waiting. Okay, we're also joined by uh, Professor Frank Fu, uh, Emeritus Professor at the Department of Sport and Physical Education at Hong Kong Baptist University. Uh, Professor Fu, good morning. Good morning, Danny. Now, it's been a very difficult time for the sports industry, hasn't it? And um, uh, so many people who are trying to train for events and so on, it's been disrupted. Um, what, what, is, what is the way, the path forward now? Well, I think the government should not close down all these sports facilities and allow, especially some non-context outdoor sport to start, like jogging, golf and tennis, and then open up more sport. Uh, to conduct like badminton, tennis, gym, and other team sport with specific safeguards. Okay, uh, this one size fits all is a very poor strategy and quite unacceptable. What, what, uh, Professor Fu, was there actually evidence of COVID spreading through people participating in sport? Well, uh, I, well, maybe in the soccer, the, you know. Uh, they don't waste uh, when they're in contact sport, but uh, the, the, there's no scientific evidence supporting that uh, non-contact sport, and especially outdoor sports, uh, cause any uh, you know large-scale uh, uh, spread. You know. It, but and, it's, uh, it's not just the sport. I mean, if you have sports, you have to have changing rooms and things like that, right? right? right. Well, it's ironical. You know, the Home Affairs bureaus. Uh, believe uh, that the locker room is a place to spread the uh, virus, but they allow all the clubs and all this uh, a shower room to open. The private okay? clubs, you mean? Right. Yeah. You know, the private clubs, all these shower rooms are open. So you have no sport, you allow shower room to open. And that's, that's quite, uh, you know, there's a conflict, you know. It's not consistent. What I'm trying to think is that uh, they, they should inform and consult the professional and the general public involved in terms of uh, SWAT participants so they can get the support in terms of government decision policy. I mean, a, lot of, a lot of people, especially who are actively involved in sport, 
are quite frustrated because instead of being, they felt they're being the stakeholder in this fight against the COVID-19, they felt they are the victims of an arrogant government who acted retroactively, inconsistently, and indecisively. Mm. And, you know, it does seem ironic that on one hand, you know, government announcements are, are telling us to stay active and healthy, but the facilities that allow us to do that are not open. Yes. You see, if you stay inactive for two weeks, your cardiovascular function begins to deteriorate. If you stay for one month or more, then your muscle system starts to deteriorate. The gym is very important to open the gym up. You know, people need to exercise. Worldwide, you know, 25% of the adults and 75% of adolescents and children are not getting enough exercise. And in Hong Kong, 15 years ago, we advocated, uh, the Hong Kong Association of Sport Medicine and Sport Science and the Hong Kong Medical Association advocated everyone walk about 19 minutes a day or 8,000 steps. Now, after 15 years, we are way short of that target. So we are not getting enough exercise in Hong Kong or around the world. Recently, World Health Organization indicated that because of lack of exercise, uh, we can prevent 5 million fatality a year. Five million people dying from lack of exercise. Okay, we have a caller. Caller Mike, good morning. Caller Mike. Okay. He's not there. He's, okay. He's gone. Let, he's gone again. Let me ask uh, Anthony. Uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, you know, we've seen in other countries, uh, for example, Australia, where gyms have been able to open with, um, you know, number restrictions or, or space restrictions. Uh, with some sort of contact tracing. Wouldn't that kind of thing be able to work in Hong Kong? Um, I think it depends on the facility. I agree with your other guest when he says that the one-size-fits-all approach is wrong. I've been very disappointed in how hands-off the organisation that the government has delegated, the subsidy scheme and everything to, has been in actually, you know, well, they could have had contact with me, inspected the premises, um, and then put control measures in place, uh, bespoke measures to that premises. I mean, I understand certain activities are off the table. We do wrestling and jiu-jitsu in our gym, so obviously we can't do that. The contact's far too close. But if you can explain to me why you're allowed to sit a metre and a half apart from each other in a restaurant and have uh, five pints and talk to each other, but you can't get under a rack and do some squats while keeping the same distance. I mean, it would be very easy for me to only let four people into my facility at the one time, in which they'd be keeping far more distance than people would be in a restaurant or or bars that operate as quasi-restaurants. Um, have you actually received any government subsidies so far? Uh, we've received one last year. We're due two more. Like I said, they've delegated um, the subsidy application to this organization called the Sports Association of Hong Kong, China, uh, which I had never heard of before, and I've been operating the gym for three years. Uh, they were actually going to withhold my second subsidy because I'd sent them black and white photographs of my gym instead of color photographs. They insisted on color photographs. It would get them to us within seven days or else you won't get the subsidy. 
So things are being tied up in bureaucracy. We've been hearing a lot of these kind of stories about people who apply for subsidies. Um, Caller Mike is back. Uh, Caller Mike? You know, some of these some of these problems seem to be could be easily settled, and we've got a government that is almost tone deaf. Who do who do we vote for? Well, we well, don't. We don't. <laughs> we don't have elections in Hong Kong, do we, Mike? I called was really, uh, I wanted to talk to the professor and some of the statements that I hear that the um, that you guys are making, and I just wanted to ask a question. What do you expect the vaccine to do? Well, vaccines protect against illness, don't they? So, yeah, I mean, ideally you initially protect your healthcare workers who are mostly the ones most likely to be exposed to How long does the vaccine work? How long we don't do we know. know that it's effective? We don't know yet. I mean, there's three, so many three, unknowns. Three months. Three months. Okay, um, Mike. Uh, thank you. We, we, we'll take your points there. We don't actually you have don't uh, <laughs> no. We don't have any. We don't have any experts to answer your questions right now on, on this half of the program. Um, maybe we'll try and get some experts on uh, vaccines on the show tomorrow or later in the week. Um, okay. I'm just telling you facts. Yes. You can look them up yourself. <laughs> okay. We will. Uh, you. You. you You've raised an important. You've raised an important issue there, um, and okay. we will. We will. We will try and get some experts on vaccines on who can Appreciate actually answer some questions. Uh, thank you very much, Mike. Uh, let's bring in some more comments. Several other comments coming from listeners, mostly rather fiery comments directed towards Alan Zeman, who was, uh, who was, uh, who's left the show, and indeed to, towards us, our treatment of Alan Zeman. Uh, John says, totally fed up with uh, the hosts on this show, repeatedly allowing restaurant owners to complain. What about the other businesses? You're ignoring the rest of the economy. Hong Kong is more than just, and there's another word I can't read out on air here, more than just uh, Alan Zeman. These people have a direct conflict of interest. Therefore, it is pointless to air those views. Uh, and uh, John says, Alan Zeman started his whining by stating that the bar restaurant sector was very law abiding and all bars would follow whatever restrictions are imposed if they can just reopen. Uh, play the tape, that's what he claimed. Then he engaged in a furious backpedal with a statement, well, of course, I can't guarantee everyone is following the rules. If he can't back up his statements, he shouldn't make them. The industry, that industry's disingenuous pleadings, of course, bars don't cause COVID, reminds me of the tobacco industry's disingenuous statements for decades that smoking doesn't cause cancer when they know full well it does. To Carrie Lam, subsidise the bars, please so they can stop trying to engage in behaviour that will endanger all of us. And uh, finally, one from uh, Magnus on a different topic. How can it be the Hong Kong authorities still do not recognise that outdoors is entirely different to indoors in terms of COVID transmission? Order of magnitude difference. Study of a Chinese study of transmissions out of 7,500 cases where time and place of transmission could not be pro properly identified. A grand total of one case of transmission took place outside. A similar study in the USA showed that in only one out of 2,000 cases did transmission occur in an outdoor setting. It's ludicrous not to recognize this huge difference in risk when setting policy measures. Thank you, Magnus. Uh, Professor Fu, this seems to uh, reinforce what you were saying earlier, that you, you feel that outdoor sports, really, the risk is very minimal. Professor Fu? Yes. Yes, I agree. Yes. 
And yeah, we know we know that universally know that exercise is medicine, and this is the best way to combat the COVID nineteen pandemic. So. Okay, on the other hand, Anthony Gormley, I mean, you're the owner of an indoor gym, and um, they, they're talking about the sad reality that whatever measures you, you take indoors, indoors is, is more infectious than outdoors. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Indoors is more infectious than outdoors. But I believe that we can implement social distancing measures inside the gym, short of shutting the place down completely. And, of course, I, I agree with the other guests that we can be a bit more uh, liberal with outdoor activities. I mean, all you need to do is do a sample class, get a cop down there to check out if people are maintaining distance, and then uh, let us get on with it. I mean, the the reality is um, uh, people are going to get together and socialise if they really want to. And, you know, they could do that in uh, distance in a gym and then go out for lunch afterwards or go to each other's homes and have drinks afterwards. But, um, Anthony, when these restrictions do lift tomorrow, is it going to be enough to help you, you know, carry on, rebuild your business, etc.? Well, the problem is uh, we went from a height last year of 110 members. Uh, At the end of the year, we were down to about 40. And that's because it's very hard to get people to join a gym, which often involves a subscription model, uh, if they don't know if it's going to be open uh, two weeks in the future. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's hard for people to make that investment, especially, you know, Mwewo is a cheaper place and people maybe don't have as much money, which is how I operate my facility. The membership's quite low. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's hard to galvanise people, and it's hard for people to maintain their momentum. If they're on a good trend with their fitness and they've been going to the gym regularly for weeks and then all of a sudden they can't go at all anymore, then it's hard to incentivize them sometimes to come back because they say, well, I've made all this progress and I've lost everything that I worked towards because I couldn't work to maintain it. Okay, well, it's, 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 it's a very difficult situation and then best of luck, uh, Anthony Gormley, uh, owner can, can of... I just, can I yeah, just sure, go quickly, yes. I, I am alert. I am no fool. I am alert to the dangers of COVID. I'm just saying that perhaps it could be a bit more hands-on, the government's management of the situation as regards fitness centres. Okay. Thank you very much. That's Anthony Gormley, uh, owner of Buffalo Strength Gym, and also uh, our thanks to uh, Professor Frank Fu, Emeritus Professor at the Department of Social and, sorry, at the Department of Sport and Physical Education at Hong Kong Baptist University. Uh, moving on, the uh, protests, the civil disobedience continuing in Myanmar. Uh, the opposition leader, uh, who's been in detention now, facing another charge from the, uh, uh, the military junta that uh, staged a coup. Uh, she's now charged with uh, violating uh, the natural disaster law in addition to uh, legal importing of uh, walkie-talkies. Joining us to discuss uh, the situation in uh, Myanmar and the uh, civil disobedience campaign that uh, is being organised by uh, many people there is uh, Eason. Eason is a seven-year resident in Hong Kong from Myanmar and currently a research assistant in Hong Kong U's Centre of Applied uh, English Studies. Uh, Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat, Eason. Morning. Thank you for having me. Now, you, you, you presumably following um, developments in your home country very closely. Uh, t- tell us what, what, what you're hearing about um, yeah. what's happening there. Well, um, well, currently, like the civil disobedient movement is still gaining momentum. And just yesterday, the um, military uh, just had their uh, first press conference, but then uh, a lot of the a news agency were boycotting the 
press conference, they were just, again, like a lot of people are saying, this is just for them to use uh, media to uh, spread their lies because, well, they, what they did was, uh, if you, um, if you, Look at the constitutions. They said they, they did it according to the constitu- constitutions, but it's not it's not legal because they don't have the constitution doesn't allow them to um, to arrest the president. The president is the uh, the head of the state. But yeah, so while well, that is going on, and um, yesterday the the like the street protests have sort of like. Um, um, uh, gather like less people but today we are expecting to see more people going out because of that because of the press conference conference yesterday just to show that people uh, just don't uh, believe them yeah so isan do you from what you hear are these other protests going to continue i think so um um i think it will but then um it might Sort of like um, depending on how the uh, military respond, it will either like um, um, you know become smaller or bigger or like uh, spread to other places or like into like smaller groups. And we see like uh, j- just um, in the past two weeks, like the the, the way people protest has also like um, have also like changed and. Uh, a lot of people are becoming like, um, you know, uh, creative and and it also sort of like becoming sort of like a parade. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how they how they're going to keep the momentum it's because like people, it's not just going out on the street. They are also at night <clears throat> when they are like uh, night raid uh, by the police, like the so-called plain clothes uh, police. Uh, uh, police. Uh, kidnapping people so people aren't like getting sleep at night either so it's really exhausting up there and i can see if, uh, i can understand people uh feeling like okay i might need some rest you know i do think people need rest to to sort of keep this going mm-hmm. so yeah i think protests will go on uh but we don't know how big or small it's going to become. Yeah. Okay. We do have a, a comment on our Facebook page about the mm-hmm. situation in Myanmar from uh, T.C. Chang, who says, Aung San Suu Kyi has been deified by the West as a symbol of democracy against a military dictatorship in her country. U.S. Mm-hmm. President Barack Obama and Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton visited her while they were in office. But once her party, the NLD, gained power, it has been accused of genocide against the Rohingya minority. Furthermore, the NLD won the most recent election in a landslide. On top of this paradox, the people in the West who deify Aung San Suu Kyi support the U.S. Democratic Party. These people are against American intervention in other countries, but these people want international intervention in Myanmar. Uh, do, do you think the people of Myanmar want the international community to intervene, or is you know, would they say this is a domestic issue? Well, personally, I can't speak for the whole population, but, like, we do want uh, some sort of condemnation, like, um, uh, unanimous, like, uh, condemnation from the world, you know, uh, saying that um, this is an illegitimate regime and uh, this is illegal. And But then we don't, uh, I don't think we want sort of, like, um, 
interventions such as like NATO coming into the country and bombing us. Uh, and we want more um, like uh, targeted trans- uh, sanction, not like blanket sanction uh, into the country, but like targeting military um, uh, businesses because like uh, in Myanmar, uh, most of the business are, are controlled by the army and their cronies. So, like, putting more pressures on these companies, like foreign companies who work in Myanmar and have some sort of uh, connection, uh, connection with military government, and uh, and also like putting pressure on the um, on the you know military military government, this illegal government. So we we, we also want international community to keep uh, this. Uh, revolution to keep this uh, like on the spotlight. So we want people to share. We want people to speak mm-hmm. out. We want people to help in whichever way they can. Whether it it, it is uh, donating uh, some money into the civil the Soviet movement or just sort of like share um, about what is going on there. Yeah. Okay. So we- it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. We've also had, let me just try and squeeze. We've also had an email from uh, Peter says, as you are discussing Myanmar, perhaps the host and guest could help explain. Officially, only 5% of the population understand English, and Myanmar's English proficiencies rank the bottom 10% worldwide. Why then do the protesters carry English slogans in nearly every picture shown by the media? Also, yeah. in every picture shown the placards are well made, the protesters are well organized, just like in Hong Kong and Thailand. The slogans all demand freedom, democracy and human rights. Lenin walls popping up everywhere. Meanwhile, compared to protests in the West, uh, UK, France and Germany and last year's um, violent protests in hundreds of cities across the United States, you never saw media footage of protesters with this level of organisation. Why are the protesters in Myanmar so much better coordinated and organised? And what is the role of the Hong Kong Milk Tea Alliance and other outside organisations in these protests? Uh, Eason, would you like to respond? Um, yeah, so for, for the sign about, uh, for the English sign, about the English sign, I think it's because, like I said, um, in the previous, uh, question, is to sort of like share it to the international community. Like, uh, the whole population in Myanmar already know how brutal military regime is, how corrupt they are, and they already know their, uh, um, their uh, atrocities. But then we want, people outside Myanmar to know like what they're doing to us, why we are voicing out, uh, what we are voicing out, why we are unhappy with them. So uh, that, that is uh, with the um, English sign. And I'm happy to hear that, like, um, that, you know, that people think it's very organized because, yes, I'm also, like, very proud, proud to see all those pictures coming in from Myanmar. But then a lot of, a, a lot of you know, people, uh, I heard a lot of people come in to like um, ask people here in Hong Kong, also me, like about like or oh, how to organize like protests. Do I know anyone who is in Hong Kong who have, who have because they do see, you know, like uh, they do one tip because they do see Hong Kong protests as very organized and very sort of like before when it started, right? But very organized and very um, peaceful, and they want that sort of model, and I think they. They're taking a lot of inspiration from that as well. And as for the Milk Tea Alliance, um, uh, we are seeing a lot of like solidarity from from Hong Kong like community 
and also from Thailand and they um I I don't know enough like how much uh, sort of help they're getting from these alliance but um we as ASEAN people like reaching out to us and asking if uh, if um been uh, we need anything or like uh, a lot of the people from the Milk Tea Alliance or, uh, are speaking out on their platform which has a lot of followers and uh, okay. that is really like keeping this uh, issues, this um, yeah. movement on the spotlight and that is really uh, great to see uh, for me, yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, that's Eason, a seven-year resident in Hong Kong from Myanmar, research assistant in Hong Kong U's uh, Centre of Applied English and Studies. One last quick email from James saying, Myanmar, the Yemen of Asia, it's only worth five minutes of RTHK's time. Please have a serious discussion or no discussion and concentrate on Hong Kong issues. I think it was actually ten minutes, but uh, point yeah. taken, uh, James. Um, uh, that's it for today. The weather, thank you very much, Karen. The, the weather you, forecast, uh, fine and dry. The maximum temperature will be around 24 degrees, currently 19 degrees. Relative humidity, 65%. We'll be back tomorrow. Amid the epidemic, thanks to all for being self-disciplined to protect yourselves and others. Thanks for keeping up personal and environmental hygiene and contributing to fighting the virus. We must take further steps. Keep track of your whereabouts. If you are sick, don't go to work or school. See the doctor and get tested promptly. We will prevail over the epidemic. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. Fight the virus. Stay vigilant. The news with Samantha Butler. Donald Trump has launched a blistering attack on the Republican leader in the U.S. Senate, Mitch McConnell, saying the party will never again be strong with leaders like him. Three days after his acquittal in his second impeachment trial, the former president accuses Mr. McConnell of a lack of political insight, wisdom, skill and personality. The Court of Appeal in the Netherlands has decided that a 9pm coronavirus curfew will remain in place until a full appeal is heard on Friday. Yesterday, a lower court ruled that the measure had to be reversed immediately. And around 150 million Americans have been advised to take precautions as an unprecedented winter storm continues to cause havoc across 25 US states. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Hi. Good morning. And good morning to you too. How are you doing? Excellent. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Fine, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to your show. Good morning. Good to see you. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. Welcome to Wednesday. I'm Phil Whelan. This is the Morning Brew. So after 10 today, our second New Year catch-up with a roving Morning Brew adventurer, we're off to Medellin in Colombia. Now, this place is the former murder capital of the world, but now as safe as any big modern city, as we're going to find out. And it's where our friend Palabo, the Danish radio vagabond, finds himself as he travels the world, one interview at a time. 10.30 plus in our weekly chat about classical music stuff. Composer and conductor Colin Touchin is going to talk about the performer's worst enemy, the self. Yeah, he's going to talk about the big bet noir 